0: Welcome to Big Creator Energy with me, Brandon Walker, and my co-host, Will Batteet. In today's episode, our first episode of the show, we talk about how artificial intelligence is impacting content creators. Hint, it's ugly. We talk about Will's new startup, V, and we talk about spending money to make money as a creator. Enjoy. This week, we started talking about a couple of topics that we wanted to earmark and save for today. And Mm -hmm. you were leading the way on one of those, the AI merging with the creator economy. Why don't you kick us off and talk a little bit about, yeah, where where you want to lean in on the AI side? So it's interesting
1: that the trends in AI that have happened for social media spaces, right? So they've gone in certain phases. And one of the most recent phase where we were talking about the AI really has learned us is the algorithm finding tool. So first it was algorithms, just ser- being able to search the internet for your Boolean keywords well, but then it became more specific to AI actually finding content for you, which is a ve- like, like, because it's learned you in some way. And this, was a, this is a huge movement forward, right? This is something that's actually studying your relationship with desire and trying to show you things based on things you might not even be privy to, right? And many people, especially with TikTok, they're like, how did, they, how did the algorithm know? that I would love this, right? But now, now it's not just the discovery tool. Now we're watching, there's a proliferation of AI generated content, right? Um, my, my my friend and I actually think you've met him, Daniel Backer, he's a TikToker. Mm-hmm. His album cover he bought from an AI artist, right? A man who has an AI that is his sweatshop, right? His slave that makes, and he, he was like, it was one of the most seamless processes that's ever happened, right? And this is a microcosm of that, right? Maybe just album artwork, we're not thinking but like there are already completely digital influencers that exist in the space. And when you start to think about that AI doesn't have any of the trappings of a real person, you don't have to worry about them getting canceled. You don't have to worry about them getting drunk. You don't have to worry about them talking about your brand negatively later, right? It's all kind of like garnered in this very small cubicle. So from a brand perspective, it's almost always better to work with an AI that can pr- produce hundreds of videos for you. So you can pick the exact one in a couple of hours compared to like a creator who has to sit down, write down everything and produce content. Now we might be like, Hey, th- well, I-, I think people are going to want the human experience. I think people are going to want to connect with a person, but the most compelling things that most young people have watched is anime, right? I mean, inside out has shown us that you can be drawn to tears with things that look nothing like you but you you that emote as being human even wally so i don't even think that human aspect i think that human aspect sometimes gets in the way of empathy honestly because there's something weird about pores and knowing that there's a person behind it and the fact that you know as a TikToker, and we'll get into this later but as a content creator you are you are seen as a product which people intellectually know is a human being but they treat you as a product and so i think that it's You know, a lot of people, me included, was like, I well, you know, part of the reason I didn't want to stay in a career in the law is that I thought AI, Watson, things like that were going to come in, clean house, and get rid of a lot of jobs, and they undoubtedly have. Um, But And I thought I was safe in content creation, but it feels like that that might have been underestimating
0: the leaps in machine learning. Mm, There's this redheaded dude that his name is Kurt Skelton, and he has gotten up to... His TikTok is 331,000 followers. A week or two ago, it was like 200K. And everybody thought he was a real person. He does videos about video editing, you know, how he gets special effects to happen, blah, blah, blah. Turns out it's this woman, this Indian woman who has been running this account for the last six months or so. His voice is AI generated. His image is AI generated. It's her with a green screen behind her wearing a motion capture suit and then turning her voice down and putting some effects on it. And she was able to trick hundreds of thousands to millions of people that this redheaded dude is a real person and the whole thing is fabricated from AI. It's pretty insane, Mm. you know? It, it it reminds me of that charlie deep fake that that
1: existed a few years ago but like now now like it's it, it's weird like it's it, it just it just you know I guess one of the things that we're gonna have to ask ourselves is is the physical primacy of experience what number one does it matter right does it matter that this is an Indian woman right you know do do we think that I think this is the thing that i feel we need to start making laws about soon is AI needs to be explicitly stated if you are a deep faking or AI it needs to be explicit that you you are carrying out these things because over time I mean I have I had a joke about how you know in in the future like you know everybody's gonna be getting catfished by just one AI right <laughs> like that's just, it's just gonna be one AI having relationships with everybody through Instagram and what, like you scroll through you check tag pictures, it can do that. It can make a hundred accounts at the same time, cross-reference itself with all of these different other accounts, make itself look really real, leave you voice notes, FaceTime with you. Like the, the, all of this is, 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 is either available or on the cusp of being available. And if from this position, you can defraud people out of money, you can do all sorts of things. So I do think there's a duplicity with this. And I, here's the thing is, is like, I, I actually think we need to start having anti AI positions right now in some spaces in art, right? Like, I think that like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to shop with brands who use artificial uh, AI or computer generated individuals rather than models right? That's just not going to be something I'm going to interact with. Now, that's a Luddite position. But here's the thing. There's something called the Amara effect. And it's where technology progresses to the point where it starts being debilitating to the human experience. And I actually think we've passed that threshold in some ways. It's eerie, but I definitely do think that there are some ways that human experience is beginning to be brought back by the exploration of technology in this way. And that's by loneliness, suicide, epidemic, all of these other things. And uh, so I'm kind of pro starting the grammar that like, hey, like we don't actually want AI in these spaces, you know, have them solve global warming, content creation. Let's leave that for the creatives. The one time we're able to
0: make money and then the nerds come in and already take it. Like, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) But how do you... I mean, so at the end of the day, the whole creator economy, and it's like you said earlier, as a brand, I would rather work with an AI because it'll spit out 10 variations, thumbnails, like the whole end to end stack can be split tested in the snap of a finger. Whereas working with a content creator, like, yes, it's more art, but it's not as efficient. I'm not getting as good of an ROI. So how do you reconcile the difference in incentives in the creator economy with the fact that this is not the best use of time or energy for people coding AI.
1: Well, well, it's so this is this is what I would say, and I would be this is this is a critique on on just the way of what I'll say is late stage technological capitalism. Is there's no space for humans in that future, right? They, they are going to eventually do everything better than us. They play chess better than us, they play Go better than us, they paint better than us. It took they write books better than us. It's happening very quickly. In times that, so so if, if, if we want to hold on to there being value in human ingenuity, we're going to have to, it's not going to be legislated. It's going to have to be a cultural taboo. I think of content creation, why not have some of the same barriers that we have allowed other industries to have in order for them to grow and flourish? Because that meant something to some of the people who are already in the space.
0: Hmm. You know what that thread got me thinking about is, you know, in the real world, you have you have goods that you tangibly own, right? Like your house has mm-hmm. a deed tied to it. Your physical cash and belongings sit in a vault or in a safe deposit box at a bank. But on the internet, unless it's sitting on a local server, not in the cloud, on your device, you never really have that same. Like this is clearly Brandon Walker's piece of data right that's one of the promises Mm -hmm. to your point of blockchain it's like who fundamentally owns this asset and so i bet there's going to be like governing positions or validating positions whose job is to determine where assets came from and who they belong to Online Mm -hmm. in similar ways that like auditors work in the real world or notaries work in the real world. I bet there's going to be some equivalency of that digitally, but now the hedge is not against peer to peer as it is in the real world, but it's peer or another bad person using rogue AI or just rogue AI Mm -hmm. unto itself.
1: Yeah. And then I love how you talk about uh, uh, rogue AI just in and of itself because the, the concept of AI personhood is actually, you know, Google has been talking about it. To me, this is a, what I have to ask myself this. If my dog wrote an essay about why he's, a, why he's a person and deserves rights, I would feel very weird about not considering them a person. Yeah. But to to tie it back to the creator economy and things like that is just as brands, I just kind of I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to start it now. I do not support companies that hire AI instead of creatives. And I am going to start this because this undercurrent needs to start because. We're going to have we're going to have this discussion a lot sooner than we think. Right. Because, like, let's say this: my friends have minted out an NFT project. I would ray ray work with NFT AI. Right. Pay two grand. No with certainty that I'm going to get what I want. No back and forth. No this or that. 70 available options in a couple hours in terms of digital iteration. But the problem is, is that when we talk about things like efficiency and we compare it to art, efficiency is about how do you get the most without put it, with putting in the least effort right it's not necessarily just solely being productive mm. so there what we're, we're going to end up happening we are already in a period where there's too much art right i was just at the edinburgh Fringe festival there were not enough people to watch the art that has been a problem a long time in stand-up actors know this there's not enough people to watch all the art so what happens that like now where we, we up the ante where someone can outproduce i mean i remember when i was working hard on tiktok i was producing five tiktoks a day at some point three to five tiktoks a day dude it just create it just i just can't compete with the scale and that's just the scary part is like it's literally that you can't compete it's like john henry against the it is literally going to be like john henry against the steel thing no matter how hard you work mr beast being john henry you know this,
0: yeah
1: yeah and and ai being being the machine
0: nice well let's uh, let's get off of the ai topic what else have you had going on this week you just Dude. applied for YC. Like, let's talk YC. about creator, entrepreneur. How's that been going? What are you working on? If you want to share so, it.
1: Oh, I, I definitely do. Thank you for bringing it up. So uh, right now I'm applying to to Y Combinator for an app called Moda V, which I'm making with another content creator friend of mine. It is... a uh, geolocated marketplace that connects local brands, small artisans, small fashion brands with local consumers. And it's gatekeeped based on the city you're in and it utilizes augmented reality for a gamification app element because we've introduced some parts of it that are similar to Fortnite and things like that. So to kind of just really take the quest like experience and move it outdoors, right? Because I I, I think that there there is something about mota V, the reason why Moda means um, Fashion in Italian, V stands for village. It's the fashion village. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an a app that's global, but is locally motivated and is meant to stimulate local economies and local creativity and cre- connect people with those brands. And the problem that a lot of people are having right now, Gen Z, over 50% of Gen Z wants to have a physical experience shopping soon. But they do not like brick and mortar stores like fast fashion mills like Zara, H&M. And so there's a huge amount of people who want to go somewhere but have nowhere cool to go. Well, in New York, there are tons of people. This jacket, actually, I bought off a guy in Washington Square Park, bought off the guy who made it. And this happens all over the city. There are tons of people who have their fashion brands outside, but they can only sell to the people who walk by them. That's not the people who would be interested in buying them, especially the tourists. Tourists don't want to go to H&M. They want to buy something from real New Yorkers, something mm-hmm. you can't get anywhere else. So we want to get bridge that gap right and and so yeah so we're really excited we started working on the idea three weeks ago we 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 have some nomination from some some good friends and so we'll we'll see we'll see where this ride takes us but i'm really excited because i think creators create i think creators are going to step into the place of being the new harvard stanford for apps and and raising money and things like that and i think we see with david dobrik with uh dispo 100 raising over a hundred million dollar valuation for an app that's was basically Fuji, the Huji app. It wasn't even a great idea. What's Huji? I don't even
0: know what that is.
1: Huji uh, uh, or Fuji app is it, basically to take photos that replicate a Kodak camera. Dispo was one of those. It was kind of trying to capture <sighs> the old Instagram feeling. I don't necessarily think it was a, a really great idea, but it, it was very exciting to see that much money go to a creator. Then the next one that really got me excited was Prime prime having a i think a 300 million dollar valuation or 200 million dollar valuation when it is you know a sugar water drink right yeah. with you know some electrolytes i'm sure that they have some, some thing, but the fact of the fact that they have such a great large valuation with something that's existed for over the last 20 30 years shows that like people are very interested in creators taking this because the new commodity let's say if there was dig- if data was the digital oil you know, attention is like digital, like uranium or something like that. It's, it's, it's more valuable. It's, it's something that actually changes the fabric of things because data, it tells you like about the person some, but their attention is what causes the sale, mm-hmm. right? And so if you have people who are good at capturing attention in ways that are Byzantine to a lot of people in Silicon Valley, and one of the, one of the things is metrics of growth to drive high valuation. I think that like people who know how to grow online and create exciting content all of a sudden become not only people with their finger on the pulse of culture, but people who can also light a fire within culture way faster than traditional outlets and using way less money on marketing, which is a very expensive component of, of, of any company, especially one that's pursuing multi-billion dollar valuation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, you have naturally baked in marketing, distribution, and sales channels, and potentially fundraising if you go through crowdfunding. You know, pulling an audience together like that around a common niche is is the name of the game. And the company that I used to work for, uh, or work with, I guess that we did the crowdfunding advisory this year. Things are taking off for that business and we're working with a lot more content creators and trying to find ways to get content creators equity in traditional tech startups and other types of organizations because what I'm curious about for you as Motive takes off is what happens with your content creation like as that time has been expended over the last three to six months how you as an executive within a business, how that impacts your ability to create content consistently, right? My my point in saying all of that is sometimes there's opposition between being a full-time content creator and being an entrepreneur. And so these concepts of being able to pair creators with the operators so the creators can focus on, I continue to build my niche, I continue to make great content and the natural byproduct is now I have something cool to sell into my channel while the operator, the me type people of the world don't have to get distracted with all the marketing and all the additional stuff. It's just, you got all that. I got the operations and together that can make an incredible business. And so that I think behind Prime Hydration, Feastables, Beast Burger, Machine Gun Kelly has like a, a nail polish brand for dudes. He calls it his a lacquer. I'm missing a few other examples, but behind the scenes, there's always like, uh feastables has the old president from rx bar prime hydration mm-hmm. has a private equity group jake paul on his new business better has a co-founder so all they have to do is sit in the content house keep pumping shit out putting big bets down going on dave Portnoy's show, being loud and flashy and the paul brothers and then the money just flows in because they have the operators stealing all of that attention that you're talking about to pump into the right channels
1: A a million, million percent. I mean, even even the McBrooms operation. I mean, you know, they they didn't understand business, it turns out, with some of what I've watched around it. But like, I mean, they had such an amazing setup with their makeup brand that they were funneling through their media empire and things like that. And so and I think ops people are just so like, you know, my dad, my dad says this is is amateur, and, and this is an expression from someone else. But he said amateurs talk strategy, professionals talk logistics. You know, and he said that this is incredibly true in the military. Say that right? one more time.
0: He's, Amateurs talk strategy, experts talk logistics. Yeah, professionals talk logistics. And 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 and, and
1: he, he amended it for the military where he where he, he said he said he said colonel colonels talk about strategy, generals talk about logistics. And basically in war, the most important thing is whether or not men have food, clean socks, bullets, ammunition. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what happens on the battlefield if you have an undersupplied thing. That's one of the reasons why China um, uh, failed in their invasion of Vietnam is that they had a, a terrible logistics plan. It's, it's, it's just those kind of the logistics fall apart. And so operations people, there is a there is a style of thinking that I think is is so underappreciated in, in the modern marketplace. Not, not co- in compensation, but just in terms of people don't think about it. People are aware when op- ops people fail, right? That's when, when aisles are empty, when, when, when things aren't getting there on time and things like that. But the fact that we exist in this kind of magical reality where food comes from all over the planet, assembles itself in one place and all these other things, this is because people are thinking about those small things. And so I think a lot of times content creators, you know, one, one of the things we're looking for, and we're, we're going through the process of talking to people who might be potential CTOs, but one of the big things we're interested in is a solid ops person. Because as a content creator, and you know this, Brandon, I mean, you saw me just try to set up this this thing right here, there there, there, there are constructive issues and sometimes the skill set that content mm-hmm. creators have, their are big holes. And I think ops people not only know how to close those holes, they know how to show the creator where their holes are, right? Because I think that that literacy is something that we don't think about, supply chain, things like that.
0: Yeah, and especially you know some of the mission for what we're doing at BDE is continuing to build the relationships between the different stakeholders within the creator economy so we're we're bringing on right now my first employee helper person her name is Emily and she was a manager for a long time for a lot of different creators and you know i come to the table with this perspective that the creators are getting screwed we're here to help unfuck the future of the creator economy that's that's the the MO. But then I get to hear from people like Emily who have frustrations with the creators on the other side of the house, right? Being a manager or representing the brand of deliverables not being sent on time or not responding to texts or emails or giving bad data on the ACH wire transfer, not signing the mm. contract. So a lot of it is administrative, but the, pers- the, the, the inverse of this is not only frustration about a lack of responsiveness, but why are you not letting me give you money? Like what is wrong with you? Are you really that entitled or lazy or whatever else? And I get to have the perspective of no, I've managed the inboxes for these people and know they're getting dunked on constantly with opportunities and yours Mm. just may not stand out versus the other ones. But the reality is there are gaps in the creator's strength, strengths and weaknesses as there are everybody. And, you know, Mr. Beast is really blazing a trail for he's hiring for 27 roles right now across all of his channels, his business, his ops, data analysis, so much shit. And I think that we're really, really in the early stages of seeing how creators need to flesh out their executive team, their production team, their business teams. I think what those org structures need to look like to be able to build a scalable business is still completely unknown for this type of an entrepreneur.
1: Number one, a million percent. And actually, you know who agrees with you?
0: Y- you? Kanye, Kanye 2018.
1: <laughs> Kanye 2018 in his interview with Charlemagne talks about why is it that some two guys from Harvard can have an idea and get $400 million of funding and have a Harvard MBA work with them on scaling their business, yet Travis Scott... Whose world tour at that time had pulled in hundreds of millions of dollars still is only left with a manager, somebody who who doesn't have necessarily a sophisticated perception of this person. He said this individual itself is more valuable than the he he's actually converting on value already. He's yeah. actually already a profitable business, right? And so that was like the first time where I was like, oh, snap. interesting. I was his creator, like because like this this is the thing is is that. One of the things I've talked about with some of my friends who are really money minded is I can talk money. I like talking money, but the actual the actual details, a lot of creators are adverse to thinking about those details of money. They don't like getting in the headspace. It doesn't feel creative. It feels transactional, all these other things. And so what's going to end up happening is um, like you're just going. I think there's going to be a couple myths that are slowly dying out that I think are really going to help creators ask for this help. One, the concept of a sellout. The concept of a sellout was a made up thing, made up thing in the 90s and it carried over. You probably, you know, I've heard like remember it being kind of a thing when we were coming up. I'm a little bit older than you, but like, yeah, dude, people don't want to be a sellout or associate with money. I've noticed that in the creative space that's changed, and, and now artists are a lot more comfortable talking about money. But like I've still noticed that there is a wall whenever we talk about sophisticated interactions with money or even hiring other people right? I think that's the scariest thing for a creator, right? Because you have this nest egg of money and you get to be a content creator as long as you keep this money. But if you don't scale, you're, 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 you're always going to kind of be living in this like weird paycheck to paycheck space, even if you're making a lot of money. But it's scary because you don't, you, you've hired people before actually. Can you t- t- talk about the map on like going through, I guess, and hiring somebody and, and, and tr- because it never, when I've hired people in the past for, for different ventures and things like that, I've ended up getting rid of them in a month or two months because I don't know what to do with them, yeah, right, to yeah, get yeah. the value. And sometimes the value doesn't even come up front. It's an aggregate effect.
0: Yep. Yeah, I are you are you familiar with the concept of a J curve?
1: Heard of it. I'm not familiar with it.
0: So, basically the idea is imagine any chart with an x y axis or maybe mm-hmm. it's supposed to go this way, right? Ideally, when you start investing in something, you've, you always see the hockey stick thing, right? It bounces around, bounces around, and all of a sudden it takes off. But if you stretch that hockey stick out, typically what happens with these big fast growth companies is that hockey stick that looks like it's just going doot doot is actually a deep trough of going underneath the x-axis, X, x-axis losing money, losing money, and then all of a sudden the residuals start catching up and then it hockey sticks up. So the J curve is that moment in a business when you have to spend money to make money. It's going negative with the anticipation that the investments that you're going to make are going to taper up and let you have that exponential growth on the back end. And in my experience in hiring, like you, the, the, the types of people that you're describing having hired before, knowing you and the businesses that you've been in and the type of work that you've been doing. They've probably been more lower value employees, like closer to Mm -hmm. VAs or interns. Hiring those types of people, you have to give them standard operating procedures. You need to give them frameworks and boundaries. And like, basically, you need to build the system and then you can plug those people into the system to make it run. That's a certain kind of employee. But then sometimes you need to hire somebody to help build out the systems because you just don't fucking know. And so Mm -hmm. that's where the J curve comes in. If I were to pay somebody from the Philippines, eight dollars an hour, twelve dollars I don't know what's actually fair in the Philippines right now, so I'm not doing public math, but let's just say ten dollars an hour to make the math easy. Not a huge J curve, right? I can get 80 hours out of that person for eight hundred dollars in a month. okay. Mm-hmm. But if I want to hire a smart person who has experience and can help build out this space, maybe I have to spend between two and five k to have them part time just to help build out those those systems. So I think what the creators need right now is it's not enough to just go on Fiverr and go find an editor or to find a writer. Those are very transactional things. Mm -hmm. Building out the business warrants you finding somebody who does serve as that manager partner or that head of production or that operator and then helping build the systems. Because to your point, the creators oftentimes are like, I have the SOPs in my head for my short form, my long form. I know what the B-roll needs to look like. I know how the edit should push out. They need to get that shit on paper, train somebody else to help execute and run that, but they need to be able to sustain the J-curve. And that is the big gap in their capital structure is I, as an entrepreneur, can go get a loan from my friends. I can go to an accelerator, an incubator. I can go raise money if I have to. These content creators, unless they have a big library of YouTube videos that they can share the rights to and get AdSense, it's very hard to find favorable terms for people who are willing to bet on these content creators. Because the ROI is always indirectly tied to their performance, whether it's AdSense sponsorships, UGC, it's never just, it doesn't compound in the same way that a software as a service company would.
1: And part of that is is that, like just like the airline industry, we're in control of so few of our so so little of our world we're a couple algorithm updates away from maybe being in a completely different financial situation right, right. you know and and you know like just to talk about it's a, a pain point of mine for for this happening, I built out this learning center in twenty twenty one called the praxis portal it had over two hundred twenty modules. I wanted to make it so that I was selling so many of my books, I was like, well let me make longer form versions of my content for every video I make and do classes so that like I can democratize education and I'll make it for a cup of coffee a month. You can get access to literally a library of information that's bigger than a college class. And I really went all out for it. What ended up happening though, two weeks before my launch was my main mechanism of getting people to buy my book was leaving a comment. Say, hey, if you're interested, check out my book and my profile, TikTok then shadow banned profile in all variations from it. You would have to, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't write profile and comment and be the person who posted the thing. Your video would eventually, your, your comment would not show up. And they, they covered within a couple of weeks, all of the variations of profile with a hyphen, all the other different spellings and things like this. So now the only way for me to, I spent months working on this, Hundreds and thousands of hundreds and thousands of dollars on different things. Altogether, probably, I made my own cryptocurrency for, for it called the Practice Portal. Altogether, I think I was out maybe 10 or 11 Gs by the end of the thing. And uh, did I get some ROI? Yeah. But it drastically it, it neutered my ability to to return on that investment, right? And so sometimes the cheapness, my heart goes out to content creators because where where harvard business review has tons of case studies for traditional businesses we are kind of in a domain that does have some similarity but does have some significant differences and the other thing that content creators have to deal with is every time you sell no one gets mad at mcdonald's for marketing mcdonald's food that will kill you right no one gets mad they get up every day all over the world sell food that we know will shorten your life if you eat it every day. And that's because they're a corporation and we allow corporations to be individuals that we would never let people be, right? But an individual person, they try to sell you on something. They might've made a hundred free videos. I did a commercial series for Bombas and uh, they, it was very on, on brand for me. I'm talking about the homelessness epidemic. They gave me basically as much elasticity as I wanted. I got to talk about organizations I was actually very excited about. And people were mad. You know, here I have made over 400 free videos at that point, more than that, and a couple videos of of sponsorship and people get upset with that relationship. So that's another thing that creators are always keeping in mind is the exploitation of their brand because it's so much more, your fan base is so much more sensitive towards you commoditizing your relationship than a traditional brick and mortar company.
0: It's fucked up. (laughs) I like, yeah. I know that to be true. And, and like, part of me is like, well, whoever makes noise about that in the comments, you know, fuck them. Like, that doesn't even matter. But that's it's a very fine line. There's a very fine line between fuck them and canceled. And it's a, it's a spooky, spooky balance to strike. It, 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 and
1: it feels weird, especially the more goodwill you've built with your audience. So typically, the more goodwill you've built with your audience and the slower you've been to commoditize, the more they will feel betrayed by yeah, you trying yeah, to exactly. commoditize your
0: experience. You want them to know you're a whore early. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I'm out here for the
0: money. <laughs> yeah, you want to you get know, that on the I'm table try, as soon I, as I, possible. You
1: know, and, and, and it's so weird. We've talked about this before in the demo. It's, like, it's so bizarre that you can have a video that has a million likes. A million likes. You can count. You will never see a million people in your life you will see probably about 70,000 to 80,000 faces in your life. And you have contributed value to a million people registered by like, they had to take effort to do that. Probably even more people than that. And you will make $80. In the most valuable event of your life, you will make $80. And we're talking in terms of watch time, these videos have 30,000 30, hours of watch time or mm-hmm. some, of, some of my videos have years of watch time, right? and and so like and and so it's just this weird thing of like yeah you got the exposure it doesn't necessarily correlate to the money because what well, we're going to give you the opportunity to share your business but then what platforms do is they will well I don't want anybody the aggregate so you have to look at it from TikTok's perspective right TikTok notices a lot of people going to Amazon or Target to buy my book and they are and this is happening with millions of other users who are pumping people off platform they're like now losing billions of hours of watch time, right? Just because we're trying to make money mm-hmm. when they could just easily make it so that your comment doesn't show up. They don't even have to tell you. And so your, your, your relationship with a lot of these places are especially TikTok. TikTok's kind of mask off about it. They want you to make content until you can't. You yeah. just get, they just want you to continue producing. Mm-hmm. And they don't want you to necessarily – It's they, Dana White says something. You pay a guy $30 million. Good luck getting him back in the ring. <laughs> right? If content creators actually got the value of what they contribute, there wouldn't be that many people producing content regularly.
0: Right? Because – At the highest levels. At the highest level. level. I,
1: I just want to say this. In no other business – because this is what I used to tell people. Back when I, I started this whole thing where I, I thought Quora should have added a tip feature partially because I would have – it would have changed my life. And more notably, it would have changed a lot of their Indian user-based life. That's the other thing about tipping. Tipping features should be better integrated into these apps. And you should get in the culture of tipping because you shouldn't assume that these people are okay. Yeah, they're very right?
0: much an afterthought right now.
1: Right. And, and But one of the things I said is this. In no other business, would, you don't go into a Burger King and they give you a burger and then hope you come back in six months and buy a T-shirt. That's the creator economy, though. Oh, yeah. Like, let, let me give you everything for free. And, like, you know, I get it. I get, it. like, you know, Gary Vee and all these things. And Gary Vee has definitely been a constructive person in my life through 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 the screen. You know, do do things for free. You know, everything like that. But what, what ended up happening with millennials, millennials were the generation who did everything for free and worked really hard and then still didn't get the opportunity because they thought that the opportunity would be bestowed. And some people did get that. But a lot of people need to be we, – we need to realize that, like, Look like there that moment of making it. I think I've seen it happen for Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray, Cobby, Zach King, and 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 maybe Axel Weber, where somebody picked them and was like, "You're rich and famous now."
0: Yeah, and crazy. that used to happen in the music industry too, right? Like. Yeah. Justin Bieber <laughs> just, yeah, Justin Justin uh, Be-
1: on YouTube
0: first YouTube star
1: so so I, I they're, they're just keeping on the same same topic is that for anybody watching this if, when your creator changes and, and produces different style of content understand that this creator has sacrificed more than you know likely for this and it's been a very difficult decision and if it's not as good as their previous content Give them some time. The reason I say this is there an article that we were gonna discuss about basically Emma Chamberlain going through her, her shift and how sometimes some of her fan base was kind of resistant to that. And my theory behind it is, and I said this earlier, is that we, we tend to look at our favorite creators. We intellectually know that they're people, but we tend to treat them like products. And we tend to treat it like if you, if you change what you're doing, you change the video or style of video you make, you're changing the recipe to Colonel's Fried Chicken. Why would you do that? I liked it the way it was. Right. But the thing is, is you have to understand that we're on a journey and we did this to not be beholden to anybody, even you, and that it's scary and it's nerve wracking making content. That's not your normal content. But I want you if you're watching this, if your favorite content creator makes something and you're just like, I don't know about this new turn. Give them time. Mm -hmm. Give them time because we don't know how long we're going to get to do this. And it's a rare gift to be able to do this, but it comes. It's heavy. And it's heavy, especially if I have to stay the same, you know, and iterating is always scary, but it's part of being an artist. And I think a lot of content creators who are artists feel trapped by their audience. And so if you just hear this, I just want to, we're not products, we're people and we're yeah. on a
0: journey. I think that's good. And And the extension of that is, or you can bail out like decide you don't want to stick with me but yep. you, you don't need to dog the person who's doing it like just quietly go on your way and unsubscribe or unfollow and go follow yep. the new thing that you're interested in don't make me feel like shit because i'm trying to evolve and make changes to what i'm doing right so exactly yeah cool well you we got one of the books
1: dude yeah nice next problems will be solved them. <laughs> and, and now i'll work out this mic solution